What will you be eating today? Perhaps some tasty granola and coffee, a light lunch and a balanced dinner, or perhaps you plan to indulge in some delicious junk food. The way we eat is important, and not only for humans. Producing biopharmaceuticals, such as proteins or antibodies, requires living cell cultures or microorganisms. And they need food too. And to grow cells, we need a recipe. Think about a huge soup pot to which you add a starting material of water. And then we add the salts and the buffers and get that into solution. And then all of the things that a normal body needs, amino acids, fats and fatty acids, vitamins, sugars, and then minerals and trace elements because there are cofactors necessary with all of the enzymes that drive cells. This is the basic recipe needed to make cell cultures happy, according to Lonza's expert, Alexis Bossi. But I promise you, it is by no means as simple as she makes it sound. I'm Martina Hesteritsova, and this is A View On, a podcast brought to you by Lonza. A warm welcome to our first episode of our third season. Today, we will investigate the bread and butter of biopharma manufacturing, the science behind cell culture media. The process of cell culture involves growing and maintaining cells outside of their natural environment. Cell culture media and their composition are therefore critical for producing biotherapeutics. To discuss the importance of cell media and their components for cell happiness and product quality, I am first joined today by Alexis Bossi, the director of Media R&D at Lonza. And later in the show, we'll be talking to Tariq Hack the Senior Director of Global Media Marketing at Lonza. So, a warm welcome to Alexis. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Martina. It's great to be here with you. I must say that I find this topic extremely exciting. Having worked in a lab where I grew E. coli bacteria during my PhD studies, this reminds me not only of the good memories, but even of the smell of the media I had to prepare once a week. Media does have a particular smell to it. Yeah, I always found it really challenging not to try to taste it. <laughs> no, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Could you define for our listeners uh, what is a cell culture media in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So as soon as you take cells out of the body, whether it's a human or an animal, you need to replace all of those environmental conditions that keep the cells alive inside. And so that most importantly, is delivering nutrients to those cells and washing away waste products. So the medium has a couple of different functions. In addition to those two, you need to make sure that the osmotic balance, that is the, the salt to water concentration outside of the cells and inside the cells is in balance. Otherwise, you'll get an inrush of water into those cells and they'll swell up and burst or you'll pull water out of those cells and they'll shrivel up and die. And also you need to make sure that the medium is balanced in the pH, that it is neutral for those cells. They don't like either a really acidic or really basic environment. And so you have to keep the cells essentially happy in that fluid that surrounds them. What are the components that are needed to ensure all of these conditions? 
obviously water and really good quality water. So we start with the human body somewhere between 55 and 60% water inside and outside of the cells. And so we need to maintain high quality conditions around the cells, salts for the osmotic balance, buffers for the pH, and then all of the things that a normal body needs, amino acids to be able to make proteins, fats and fatty acids to be able to produce those cell functions, very importantly, to maintain and continue to grow cell membranes, vitamins, sugars, obviously, for energy, and then minerals and trace elements because there are cofactors necessary with all of the enzymes that drive cells. Do you differentiate between various cell media types? I tend to classify cell culture media based on three different needs that groups of cells have for what we use them for in a laboratory. Firstly, there are cells that we use to produce therapeutic proteins. Those cells are generally engineered or selected to continuously grow. And so they have very different metabolic needs than other cell types that are normal, basic primary cells that only have a certain short shelf life. And when they're being used as what we call protein factories, whether it's to make antibodies or other therapeutic proteins, we really want to drive those cells to continue to grow, but grow slowly and really produce large amounts of protein. So the metabolic needs of those cells are a little different from other cell types. The second group of cells that I think about are cells that we use to make viruses, whether those are used for gene therapy or for viruses for making vaccines. Those cells have not yet been engineered, and this is one of the things for the future, is to engineer those cells so they're more accepting of those viruses. But in the meantime, those cells really try to fight off the virus. They have innate responses that are antiviral responses. And so we're really harming those cells while we're asking them to produce those viruses. And therefore, those cells have some very different metabolic needs, and we have to try and tamp down those antivirus responses out of those cells. The third category of cells that I think about are primary cells, cells that we're going to take from one person, grow up, make minor changes to, and then return those cells to a person or grow up large amounts of them and return them to a different person. And in those cases, we have to be really, really careful that we don't do any damage to those cells and that all of the needs of those cells are provided um, so we don't drive them to do something different than their normal responses. So all three of those cell types have different needs from a cell culture medium. How does the composition differ for microbial cell cultures from mammalian cell cultures when it comes to medium? Microbial cells grow so fast. Uh, the, the cultures are typically, what, 24 to 48 hours, and you're done. You've got what you need because those cells, the doubling time on them is really, really rapid. Mammalian cells, doubling time is somewhere between 20 and 30 hours, typically close to 24 hours in culture. That's a lot slower, and the cultures go a lot longer. Also, bacterial cells are 
just adapted to grow on next to nothing. Sugar water is essentially what they need. They can provide everything else and get everything else from that environment. And so simple salts, sugars, very basic medium for bacterial culture where mammalian cell culture is a whole nother ball of wax. I really like what you mentioned here that mammalian cells double in 24 hours. Yet, as I understand cell culture media, it's a suboptimal environment for these cells to grow. And I wonder how come a human body cannot reproduce so fast or heal so fast as when we grow these mammalian cultures in a flask. So in the human body, the nutrients are provided by the blood, the serum. That has a balance of factors that really drive the body to homeostasis, that is, to maintaining itself. You don't want to allow for too much cell growth or you wind up with things growing in you that shouldn't. So the body really drives to quiet systems down. So we've got anti-growth factors, if you will, circulating in the bloodstream, as well as growth factors. Once you take those cells out of the body and you eliminate the anti-growth factors or suppressant factors, you can get those cells to grow a whole lot more quickly and do the things that we're asking them to do. I also wonder when it comes to cell media, how about their physical parameters? Do they have to be liquid? They can also come in a form of a gel. I wonder whether Lonza Bioscience is producing all of these types of, of media or whether there is a preference by the market for a certain type. So again, depending on the cell type that we're talking about, cells are either grown in suspension, in liquid culture. Um, and that's really the predominant way of growing these cells when you're producing proteins or when you're making viruses. One of the most common cell therapies right now is chimeric antigen receptor T cells. And those cells are circulating in the bloodstream or the lymph, and they are in suspension. And so we like to grow those cells in suspension. But there's also a whole field of organ culture or organoid culture. And those cells and cells that are interacting with each other in cell-cell interaction models need to be able to, to cozy up and attach to a surface. And there are all kinds of hydrogels, that is a, a gelatinous mixture. You can imagine a kind of cushy environment for cells to snuggle into. Lonza doesn't sell the hydrogels at this point, but we sell the cell culture media that can work with those hydrogels. In tissue engineering, there are so many different shapes that you want to make the cells grow in and different scaffolds for doing that. It is very application-specific. And so the researchers who are doing that work are generating those gels and gel structures themselves. And then we provide the media to grow around those. So it's clear that media can have all types of functionalities and compositions, but how do you manufacture these on a larger scale? Could you describe the process for us? Think about a huge soup pot to which you add a starting material of water. And again, as I mentioned before, very, very high quality water, what we call uh, water for injection. 
you put that in your big soup pot and you start stirring it. And then we add the salts and the buffers um, and get that into solution. And we want to make sure that we add ingredients in the right order so that for some ingredients, you need a high pH to get it into solution. Then we reduce the pH to put the low pH ingredients in, get everything to, to dissolve appropriately, and then bring it to a neutral pH. Then we filter it to make sure that it is sterile and fill it into bags and bottles that our customers are going to use. So what is the largest scale this can be done at? It's either 10,000 liter or 20,000 liter that we use. And we can package media up to 5,000 liters in what we call pallet tanks that we fill the media into that our large-scale customers can use. We also can provide that cell culture media as a powder in a lot of cases. And our customers can take that powder and mix it themselves with their water. If I look at how Lonza Bioscience operates, do you also work with our customers to develop a specific medium for their unique needs? Or does it work the other way around that they would just select from a range of products to see which one would be fitting the most? Some customers come to us and say, just tell us the three media that you think will work for us. We'll test them all out ourselves. But very often customers will come to us and say, we've tried these different media. They work somewhat well, but we think we can get more robust growth, better function, something out of a change in the medium. And then we work with them to to develop the medium that works best for them, measuring all of the metabolic um, products that are coming out of those cells. It lets us really hone in on a medium that works very well for them specifically. So we do it both ways, depending on the situation and the customer's wants. And very often, academicians will come to us and say, hey, I have this that works for my system. Are you interested in this? And we'll evaluate the data that they have, and then evaluate it in our own hands and say, hey, this is something we would like to work with. And then we collaborate with them on that process. It's fantastic to see that there is such a deep level of collaboration with academia. Oh, absolutely. Super. They're, they're vital. They do all of that basic work for us that we can then utilize and provide to other customers. If we look at the future, next five to 10 years, in your opinion, what would be the next step for cell culture media development? Oh, that's a big question. The healthcare needs to drive costs down. And so our cell culture medium for protein production has to get more efficient. We need to be able to grow more cells with less medium and get them to produce more protein that we're asking them to do at a cheaper cost. So cost driver is really important in that arena. And making use of every single ingredient that we put into that medium and making sure nothing is in excess and nothing is limiting for high cell density growth becomes really important. For virus production media, where I see the future going is to have the cells not fight those viruses quite so much and allow for greater productivity. So tamping down those antiviral responses is an area for us to investigate in virus production media. And in cell therapy media, 
the world is wide open. We've just begun the work in this arena. Um, CAR-T therapies are really taking off and better and more defined and more consistent media are really necessary. And the next generation of what cell type is going to be the next big medical breakthrough is what we're waiting for to to float our next boat, to, <laughs> to give us the next big push in development and new direction. Thank you. This was a fascinating conversation that threw me a little bit back into my old times. It feels younger. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it was really fun talking to you about this. This is a favorite topic of mine. I love it. So thanks. I am now turning to Tariq Haq, Lonza Senior Director of Global Media Marketing, to discuss the cutting edge and the future of cell culture media. Hi, Tariq. Hi, Martina. How are you today? Good, thank you. And really, thanks for joining. I'm excited for our conversation today. We've discussed the manufacturing process and the R&D considerations of cell culture media with Alexis. Could you guide us through the history of how media have been manufactured and how this differs from what we do today? So traditionally, cell culture medium has been composed of serum, which had been sourced from bovine sources or even human sources. But over time, that has really changed. The new technologies, especially the good understanding of the metabolomics and the proteomics uh, about the cells, has really allowed the scientists to come up with formulations that are totally chemically defined. And at present times, if you look at the industrially relevant or industrially important cell lines, they are using these synthetic media most of the times. And frankly, when you look at the Lonza formulations, which are, of course, trade secrets, they, in some cases, include more than 50 components. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, which range from amino acids, sugars, salts, trace elements, different vitamins, also different uh, kind of sugars. And all those together in combination provide the optimal performance that the cell culture is being performed for. Now, out of curiosity, you've been mentioning cell culture media in the context of biopharmaceuticals. And in this space, there is a trend of moving towards continuous processes, right? How does this affect cell medium production? If you look back at the way cell culture was performed previously, the industry calls it a batch process. So, so simply saying, the cells would be added to, let's say, a container, let's say a Petri dish or a flask or a bioreactor. And then the cells will be grown and the product separated out, right? So that's one way to do it. If you look at the small molecule industry, the technology has moved over to a continuous process where the product is being manufactured and then purified at the same time. And that really helps, especially in the cases where the product is, let's say, very sensitive or can degrade over time. And cell culture media is also moving towards that process. So where the processes, instead of being, let's say, batch culture, are moving towards continuous culture. So in that way, the end product can be separated out while the cell culture is happening, and then the cells continue growing and manufacturing the end product. Instead of growing cells in a large batch of media, you can discard the used one as cells grow and replenish the nutrients, right? I wonder, how is this actually performed? How is this made? Do you top the culture up with fresh nutrients only, 
or do you add fully formulated medium to the running culture? The industry today is using controls and technologies that are specific to the process itself. So that allows us to monitor the way the nutrients are being depleted in the cell culture medium and then replenish them. That's one way to do it. So there's a continuous monitoring of the cell culture. And if any specific nutrient is going down, that can be added alongside in a continuous fashion. The basic metabolites like glucose or glutamine, we can do continuous monitoring and then keep on adding it in a continuous fashion. Frankly, in in the continuous process, it's not simply adding these nutrients continuously. It's also removing the metabolites that can be detrimental to the cell culture. And the cell culture medium is replenished, but also as the product is being produced, the product along with that spent cell culture media is separated out from that cell culture. So the cells, they keep on living and multiplying and producing the product in the vessel that the cell culture is happening in. And what are the considerations your customers make when choosing a medium? So performance is a crucial criteria, but the selection is also dependent upon the media being able to provide consistent and robust performance time after time. So when the researchers screening the medium initially, they would look at performance, but then they would look to see whether the performance is also obtained as the customer scales up. So let's say the initial studies would be done in a shake class. Then they'll say, okay, that's good. I want to make sure that the performance is also the same when they scale up to an industrially relevant scale, let's say a 2000 liter bioreactor or a 20,000 liter bioreactor. So that's really important for them. So scalability is crucial. And another point I want to raise, Martina, is the importance of security of supply and contingency planning. Our customers would be spending so much time developing this therapeutic. They want to make sure when they go into clinical trials or when they go into commercial stage manufacturing, they're able to get the same product at the same scale or the scale that they need. And they also want to make sure that the medium is manufactured according to the GMP requirements or the good manufacturing practices. What's the next step for media R&D? If there is any issue that needs to be resolved, could you also elaborate on this maybe? So, Martin, I mentioned about the way the technology is moving towards more perfusion process or continuous process. So that's one way that we are helping our customers. We are developing new technologies. At the same time, we are also creating new formulations that are increasing, for example, the yield by looking into higher cell densities, by looking into higher protein productivity. We are also creating formulations that help our customers achieve the right protein quality from the cell culture that they do. And these could be ranging from, let's say, the proper folding of the protein. It could be ranging from the glycosylation patterns, etc. And we have in our library formulations that help achieve this right product quality for our customers. And we are continuing to come up with more innovative products. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. You're welcome. Discovering the needs of cells and how they can be met through cell culture media has been nothing short of fascinating. As a little bonus, we've included part of our discussion with Alexis about artificial meat for human consumption and the unique needs of these cells. 
Before we close this off, I have one question that is not directly related to biopharma manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to decrease the consumption of our meat, especially when it comes to beef in our household. And I live in Switzerland, right? So there is an option. You can just go to a grocery store and buy a meat substitute that is made with worms, which tastes good, but I have to admit it took some convincing at home to serve (laughs) this as dinner. And, you know, as a scientist, I always keep waiting for the time of in vitro meat, right? So the artificially grown meat in a Petri dish, which already is available in some places around the world. But one of the contra-arguments for this is that it is still pretty expensive and more expensive than the traditional meat production. I wonder how can the cost of this can be driven down by cell growth media? It's a really difficult nut to crack. And we tried going down that path a little bit a few years ago. And what we really realized is that so far the costs are so high that it's going to be really difficult to get cell culture grown meat to a point where it is economically feasible. Mm-hmm. And I, I was an early adopter in this and I thought, oh, we've got to be able to get there. I really want to work on this. I really want this to work. But to make lab-grown meat appropriate for consumption, you have to have certain standards around what it is you're using and that automatically drives the cost up. There are ways to use combined ingredients, but so many of them are animal-derived. Oh, okay. We can't get fully non-animal products that are cheap enough to make lab-grown meat economically feasible. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the meantime, the technology around plant-based proteins is getting better and better really, really quickly with the addition of just maybe a little bit of laboratory help that I think we might get to a, a product that where you can't really tell the difference between a plant-based protein source and an animal-based protein mm-hmm. source more economically and quicker than we can to lab-grown meat. And I know that there are people who are going to really, really disagree with me on this one. But I think we might want to look at making our, our plant products taste better and be more affordable than putting so much effort into laboratory-based meat substitutes. Thanks for listening to A View on Cell Culture Media with me, Martina, and our guests today, Alexis Bossi and Taddy Kak. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the science behind the components and the role of cell culture media in producing biopharmaceuticals. We will be back next month with another deep dive into the pharma manufacturing world. This time, about manufacturing treatments that can be inhaled. Yes, you heard that right. If you cannot wait, head over to lonza.com forward slash a dash view dash on to listen to our previous episodes. Subscribe to never miss an episode and access additional materials and interviewee info. Bye for now. See you next time.